turn in your Bible there together this morning. I want to encourage us because this morning is the day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And today, it brings hope for all people. Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. What is that saying? Because of Christ's resurrection, there is hope. And so this morning, I want to speak with you about when hope dawns. Aren't you grateful for hope? But could you imagine that Friday night? Could you imagine when they saw Him, or, or even not just Friday night, but even before that, when they saw Him nailed on the cross, when they saw Him hanging there in agony, when they saw His body lowered uh, from that cross, and when they saw Him uh, uh, wrapped in those grave clothes and placed in the tomb, where was hope at that moment? The man that they thought that was coming to fulfill uh, the prophecy that, that he would be the, like a, a knight in shining armor, the conquering hero, the great deliverer, was broken. He was, bru uh, he was bruised. He was bleeding. He was betrayed. And he was murdered. Oh, it was too much. Too great for many of them, and truly, I believe that hope was des destroyed. And John admits even that he didn't fully understand exactly what was going on in John chapter 20, verse number 9. It says, For as yet they knew not the Scripture, that He must rise again from the dead. They didn't understand fully what was going on. In John chapter 20, though, we have such great, that ho great hope that is revived in the midst of this despair. And so let's read John chapter 20 and verse number 1. It says, The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the uh, sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from uh, the sepulchre. Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, and said unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulchre. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulchre. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet he went not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture, the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away unto their own home. But Mary, Mag Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she weeped, wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the, uh, the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had laid. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where, uh, where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou had borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, Master. And Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that He had spoken these things unto her. Let's pray together. Father, we rejoice in the resurrection of Your Son, Jesus Christ. 
We rejoice that this morning, as we gather together, we, don't, uh, we celebrate what uh, He has done. He has overcome death and, Lord, brought us life as a result. And so, Father, we just thank You. Thank You that we could be here together in the opportunity, Lord, as a church to celebrate this in this morning service. And, Lord, we thank You that even this morning, You continue to bring hope to lives in darkness. Thank you, Lord. To God be the glory. Amen. As we look at this text this morning and we see all the events that transpired and we see where Jesus was nailed to the cross a few days, uh, three days before and he was, uh, he was buried in the tomb and for three days he laid in that tomb and truly hope was dashed. But we see that in the midst of their shock, in the midst of their despair, we find that hope dawned that day uh, when he rose from the grave. You know, hope often springs up at the time when we least expect it. In a place where we never uh, would have expected to see it, we, it, we welcome it like a guest or like a, a breath of fresh air. A preacher was returning home after a week of exhausting ministry, and suddenly he felt the Spirit of the Lord speaking, uh, prompting him to visit a, a poor widow woman. And as he, uh, as he uh, in his spirit, said, Okay, Lord, I'll go to her. And so he got back in his car, and he drove over to where the, the poor widow lived, and and, and he turned into her driveway, and he could see truly the poverty that she lived in on a daily basis. And he saw that the home was in disrepair, and, and the, the shutters were falling off the windows, and he saw the, the different things and the aspects that revealed the, the poverty that she was experiencing in his life. And he got out of the car and walked up to the door, and he greeted her at the door, and, and, and he just he said, it is, I want you to know that the Lord led me over here to see you, and he put some money in her hand. And the preacher said, I want to know how you're doing. She said, well, I'll be honest with you. She said, I just, we just ate our last meal last night. We haven't had anything since then. He says, well, what have you done about it? Who have you called? What have you told? He says, I didn't tell anybody. I just told God. He said, she said, God is the only one that knew about it. And, and she said, I knew he wouldn't let me down. And she said, when I saw you pull up, I said, he brought me great hope. Brought me great hope that God hadn't forgot me. She said, and I quote, hallelujah, here comes the Lord's answer. You know, hope dawns this morning. When we celebrate the resurrection, it brings hope in the most dire of situations. It doesn't matter the health circumstances. It doesn't matter the, the life circumstances. I'm grateful that Jesus Christ still brings hope today. Because, uh, let me tell you, when it dawns, it reveals the person of Christ. Think about who Jesus is today. Man, He truly brings life to us and brings hope in that life. Have you ever been in a place where it's totally and completely dark? A few years ago, when we, when we first moved to Springfield, we got to go up to Fantastic Caverns. Have you ever been there before? Yeah, and you drive through Fantastic Caverns on the tram, and, and they go through and they tell you the history of the cavern and how they used it for different uh, events and activities through the years. But through the, through the cavern, uh, there's a per certain point in the middle of it that she tells you, now they explored this, uh, this cave and this cavern years ago by candlelights. And to emphasize her point, she had the, the person in charge turn off the lights, and it went completely and totally dark. Anybody remember that part? And did you try to put your hand in front of your face? Because they'll tell you, you can't see your hand in front of your face. And I did that. I'm like, okay, yeah, I don't think I could see it. I think it was my imagination. But I couldn't see anything, but I could hear the, the children start crying. I could hear people instantly start talking. 
Like trying to find out, is, is there someone else there? And, you know, because it's so dark, you can't even tell that there's someone sitting right beside you. And they start talking, and can you believe how dark it is? Mostly just to hear and make sure they're not alone. Because the darkness brought despair. Friday, you know, I keep saying Friday, but let me tell you, it wasn't necessarily Friday that he was crucified on. And I just want to just back up and just say, when he was crucified, that as the sky grew dark, I believe that so uh, darkened their spirit that afternoon. And as, as they uh, buried him in the tomb, the spirit and the, uh, was, was discouraged and darkened, but hope dawned that morning. When that lady flickered on that candle and she lit that, lit that I say flickered on, but she lit that candle with a little match, you could tell there was a calm and a peace on everyone that was in that tram that morning. And as she, as she settled that, uh, as people began to settle down, you could tell that that light brought peace. What that light revealed is the same thing that Jesus reveals to us today. Hope is not lost. We can rejoice in that today. I can imagine Jesus' death, though it brought darkness, seeing is believing. Can you imagine when John entered, in, entered into that empty grave? The Bible states this in verse number 8. Then went in also that other disciple which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. He saw that the, the tomb was empty. He saw that the grave clothes were, were piled there. He saw that the napkin was folded up. He saw these things, and he believed. He believed the words of Jesus Christ. He believed that He is the Son of God. He believed that there was great hope at that moment. Later, Christ revealed Himself to all the disciples but Thomas. And Thomas, we call him Doubting Thomas, and, and to, because Thomas said this in John 20 and verse 25. It says, The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, Except I shall see the, his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the prints of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. This bold statement proclaimed that he would not believe until he saw the risen Christ. I think he was from Missouri. <laughs> you know, and I, and I consider that Jesus Christ, is, as he appeared to Thomas and the other disciples eight, day, eight days later, in verses 27 and 28, this is what Jesus said. He said, Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. He said, Reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Seeing is believing this morning. These men both believed that when they saw either the empty tomb or they saw the person of, of Christ, the living Savior, then they saw and they believed. In America, we don't necessarily have the privilege today of seeing Jesus face to face. We don't have the privilege necessarily of looking into the empty tomb. We don't have the privilege uh, of being able to see these things, but we can still believe today. There's great evidence for Christ. Did you know that? There's more evidence that Jesus rose from the dead than there is that Julius Caesar ever lived or that Alexander the Great died at the age of 33. I find it strange that historians will accept thousands of facts for which they can produce only shreds of evidence, but in the face of overwhelming evidence of the resurrection of Jesus, they cast a skeptical eye and they hold intellectual doubts. The trouble with many people is they do not want to believe. 
Today, we we are reminded that there is great truth in the fact that Jesus Christ not only was a real person, but He rose from the dead. Despite relentless efforts by the skeptics, we find that the resurrection of Jesus Christ continues to reverberate across the generations and the cultures. All around the world today, people are celebrating the resurrection of Christ. There was a man who wasn't initially a believer, but he set out in his life to disprove the resurrection of Jesus. His name is Simon Greenleaf. He was an expert in legal evidence as a, as a professor of law at, at Harvard in the early 19th century. And he wrote this, A person who rejects Christ may choose to say that he does not accept it. He may not choose to say that there is not enough evidence. After study of the evidence, Simon Greenleaf later became a believer. It reminds me of Acts chapter 1 and verse 3. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ is alive. But you know, a lot of people object today. There's a lot of common objections. Some say, well, well, he just swooned, he passed out. It's called the swoon theory. Jesus somehow survived his scourging and his crucifixion. Let me guarantee something. The Romans knew what they were doing. This was not their first rodeo. They knew what it was like to kill a man. They knew what it was like to make him suffer in the punishment. Just like the Apaches learned later in in history, they knew what it was like to make a man suffer, and he suffered truly a great agony before his death. Some say that the disciples bribed the Roman guards and stole the body of Jesus. Some have suggested that the followers of Jesus had hallucinations and only thought they'd encountered him. But you know that experts agree that people don't hallucinate in groups, much less in multiple groups over a period of 40 days. Muslims who regard Jesus as a prophet but not God discount the resurrection because they don't believe He was crucified. They've argued replacement theories that because God would not have allowed Jesus to be executed, He replaced Him with Judas Iscariot or someone else on the cross. But you peel back the layers of these objections And one will find a nearly universal tendency to resist the cross and resurrection uh, and, and the resurrected Christ because it is offensive and it's personal. And tell and I tell you what, they do not like it. They don't want to believe. Our natural sinful bent is toward pride and setting our own course in life. And it, and it is apart from conversion, we are at enmity with God. Listen to what Romans says, eight, Romans 8, 7. It says, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. How many facts do we need to believe that America won the Revolutionary War? But yet... So many people reject the evidence of Christ. Let's look at the evidence very quickly this morning, and I don't have time to go through it all, but I want to share some of this with you this morning because when we talk about the resurrection, it's important as believers to know that we're not just putting our hope in something empty, but we have our hope today in something that's good, something that's right, something that can be proven, something that we can have confidence on so that when I know, when I breathe my final, that this is not the end, that that, that I'm going to be carried on into life everlasting with my God and my Savior. And so today, I want you to walk away here uh, this morning as believers, knowing that you can you believe on something that is true. N.T. Wright said this, I've taken it for granted that Jesus of Nazareth existed. 
Some writers feel a need to justify this assumption at length against people who try from time to time to deny it. It would be easier, frankly, to believe that Tiberius Caesar, Jesus' contemporary, was a figment of the imagination than to believe that there uh, never was such a person as Jesus. Let's talk about the evidence. There's written evidence, but let me first say the Bible. Amen. Amen. Above everything else, I, I, I believe the Word of God. There's, there's no, no doubt in my mind that this is absolute truth. There's no doubt in my mind that every word is right. There's no doubt in my mind that when it says Holy Bible, that means it is completely and totally without sin. There's no error in the Bible today. And so when we talk about the Bible, the Bible preaches and teaches that Jesus Christ didn't stay dead in that tomb, but He rose again that third day. Amen. And so we, we realize this morning that we have great hope in, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We realize that the Word of God is authoritative for us this morning. And we recognize that the written Word of God is something that we can stand upon unashamed because, listen, the Word of God is quick, it's alive, it's powerful, and it will do what God intends for it to do. And so we can stand confident this morning knowing that the Word of God is able to be used in this defense. I'm going to butcher this name, but, I, but I'm going to do it, give it my very best sh uh, shot. So a man named Lawrence Makatuki, uh, I think. He was an associate professor of library of science at Purdue University and an author of a 2005 biblical archaeology review. He said, uh, Jewish rabbis who do not like Jesus or his followers accuse him of being a magician and leading people astray, but they never said he didn't exist. People even in, in Jesus' time knew of him. Think about Josephus, Flavius Josephus. Uh, I think his picture is up there. You can see he was born in 37 AD. He died in 100 AD, right there of the time just after Jesus Christ was, was, was murdered on the cross. And we see that during this time, this first century Jewish historian, he wrote, uh, uh, he, he basically, in his writings, he testified to the truth and the validity of Jesus Christ on earth. Or Tacticus, as a Roman historian, writing from the opposite side, he was not warm toward Christians at all. He was not in favor of Christianity. But instead, he, he, uh, uh, Ehrman says this, just about everything he said coincides from a completely different point of view. By a Roman author disdainful of Christians and their superstition, with what the New Testament itself says, Jesus was executed by the governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate, for crimes that uh, the state and religious movement of his followers sprang up in his wake. Exact same evidence. These, this evidence of just the written time, the written word, the written the things that were written about him during his time, we see that Jesus Christ was real. Not a figment of our imagination, but a real person we can put our faith in today. What about archaeological evidence? Truly, there is some evidence, but, but uh, this is what I learned is that the lack of evidence does not mean that a person at that time didn't exist. But it means that she or he, like 99.99% of all other people in the world, made no archaeological record. But archaeologists have been able to corroborate elements in the New Testament story of, of Jesus. Some disputed the existence of ancient Nazareth, but it was proven. Some uh, disputed the, the practice of, of the, the, uh, the crucifixion, but it has been proven. And many, many, many uh, other things have been proven throughout history. A man named Abu, Abu, Abdu Murray, forgive me, he's, he was a formerly a Muslim, Muslim. 
He is currently the North American Director for Rabbi Zacharias International Ministries. He's a lawyer, but he's also a former Shiite Muslim. He grew up outside of Detroit with many friends with nominal Christian beliefs, and he said this, I thought Islam was true. He said, and people should believe true things and not false things, so I would engage in discussions with anybody who would listen. Is there a God? He asked, who is he? What does he want from us? And I thought Islam had all the answers. But over time, Murray studied enough to debate Christian doctrines, and he studied uh, and he viewed their doctrines as blasphemous, such as the Trinity and the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. But along the way, he, he realized that few Christians had the tools to be able to really challenge his thinking. And so for nine years, he began to study and, and, and to learn what the Word of God says about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not just that, but also the evidence, and he wanted to disprove it. And throughout this, and throughout this time, he realized there was truth in the resurrection of Christ. He read volumes of books and articles. He poured over the testimony of the evangelists, the book that Harvard's Greenleaf, who I just spoke about, wrote in, in a, uh, recounting the evidence. And Murray came to believe the resurrection accounts were true, but it took much longer for him to put his faith in Jesus Christ. He says, I didn't want to believe the evidence for the resurrection, because if I did, it would change who I was. Murray says, everything about me would change. And I wanted to have no part of that. I wasn't ready for that. So I had intellectually ascended to these truths, but I hadn't embraced them as true. He says, I often put it this way. The reason it took me nine years is not that the answers were hard to find. I actually found them fairly easily. He says, I wrestled with them for years. The answers weren't hard to find, but they were hard to accept. And I think that's true not just of Muslims. I think it's true of anybody. This morning, it's not that the fact that Jesus Christ's resurrection wasn't true. It's not that the fact that Jesus Christ's resurrection doesn't bring hope. It's the fact that will you accept it for yourself today? Will you believe this morning? It's not an intellectual exercise. It's a heart, it's a heart exercise. Am I willing to say, God, I believe? Because Colossians 1.14 says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Only Jesus Christ can forgive sins today. And when hope dawned that, uh, that morning, let me tell you, it not only revealed the person of Christ, but it revealed the power of God today. When Christ stepped out of that grave, the power of God was on full display that morning. When Christ stepped out of that grave, never before in the history of the world do we know of a man who was able by his own power to awaken out of death and be able to walk out of a, the grave under his own power. And we find that that third day that he arose from the grave, up from the grave, he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes this morning. He has power over death. The power of God, and let me, let's look at the power of God in the opening of the tomb. Matthew chapter 28, verses 2 through 4. Look there with me, if you will. Matthew 28, 2 through 4. It says, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and become as dead men. 
Listen, the power of God was evidence in Christ's resurrection. It was not just another day on a hillside, but a day that the power of God revealed itself to all mankind. When Jesus walked out of that empty grave, it was a day of miracles. And today is still a day of miracles. Today is still a day where God can perform a miracle in your life because uh, because Jesus Christ reminds us that when we put our faith in Him, He is still the one that takes you from an empty vessel and fills you with the, the glory of God today. The second thing we see is the power of God in His resurrection. His resurrection this morning. In John chapter 20 and verse number 6, it says, Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. The evidence that the grave clothes were lying undisturbed, as if they had fallen off the body, and, and that the burial clothes had been around Jesus' head, was neatly folded up by itself, was evidence that the body had not been stolen. No one stole that body. What would you want with a dead corpse anyway? Thieves would either have left the burial clothes in a disarray in the tomb, or more, more likely have carried off the body and wrapped, with leaving no clothes behind. The, the, the condition of these grave clothes indicates that there was no undue, uh, undue haste associated with the resurrection. Had there been, there'd have been clothes have been everywhere. The power of God is seen in the garden. John chapter 20 and verse number 11 through 18 in our text today, we see where now Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power, excuse me, I'm in chapter 19, first in chapter 20, it says, and, But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? And she saith unto them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when he had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus saith unto her, Mary. And she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabbani, which is to say, Master. And Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend to my Father, and to your Father, and to my God, and your God. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, and had spoken these things unto her. When Mary Magdalene returned to the garden, we find that she was weeping. And through her tears, we see that she still didn't fully comprehend the power of God at this moment. She didn't understand the, apparent, the, the, the empty tomb. She didn't understand what was happening. And if you understand a little bit about the history, you can understand why she was confused. And that's why she looked for the gardener. And when she found Jesus, not knowing it to be Jesus, she supposed him to be the, to be the gardener because, because she knew that during, during this time, if anyone had been condemned as a criminal, the authorities believed that the body of the criminal would defile a tomb and prevent its further use. Hence, Mary supposed that they planned to dispose of the body of Jesus by the normal procedure instead of being, uh, instead of being buried in that brand new tomb. The normal procedure would be to take the body to the fires in the valley of Gehenna. And Mary desired to stop that. She didn't want the body of her Lord be, to be burned. And so she, in her disbelief at this point, she said, Where have you laid him? Where is the body? I want to retrieve it. He doesn't deserve to be burned. And when Christ spoke, she believed. 
Did you notice that one saw the empty tomb and he believed? One saw the risen Christ and he believed. One heard the words of God and she believed. And let me tell you this morning, this, I don't know what it's going to take for you to believe, but God is calling to you and He says, will you believe this morning? Will you put your faith in Him this morning? Will you know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, there is only one way to heaven and that is through Jesus Christ. There's only one person that gives power in life today. There's only one person that gives us the victory that we so desire and that is Jesus Christ this morning. The incredible gift is that God reminds us uh, that there, uh, He gives us power in life. 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 9 says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Listen, when Jesus Christ came, God, that was God's manifestation of His love. That was God saying, look how much I love you when Jesus died on the cross. And as He stretched out His arms, He says, look, I love you this much. Willingly, uh, He died on the cross. And then as Jesus Christ came, came to this earth, He died on the cross. And, and by His resurrection, we realize that we have hope this morning. Hope for living. We no longer are doomed to the destiny of a godless hell. We're no longer doomed to the agony of the, of, of the death fires. We're no longer doomed to the torments that only hell promises. But instead, we have the opportunity to enter into that heaven and to enter into the, the heavenly gates, to be encouraged, to be lifted up, to be able to see God face to face. And so my question is, will you accept it? John did when he saw the grave clothes in the empty tomb. We see Thomas did when he saw the Savior. Mary did when he, she heard His voice. But what about you? 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's desire, His passion for you today is that you might be saved. God wants all men to be saved. This is not just for a few and no more. But God wants all men everywhere to put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so on this early Sunday morning, I invite you to receive for yourself the free gift of eternal life. This is what God says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, what does it say, church? Shall be saved. And this morning, I invite you, would you come be saved this morning? 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 2 reminds us, and, um, For he saith, I have heard, of the, heard thee in a time accepted, and the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Jesus reminds us today this, that his intent for coming was not to condemn, but to bring life. Not to, not to bring uh, destruction, but to bring hope this morning. John 3, 17. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through the world ye might be saved. Listen, God's desire for you is salvation. The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. Talking about Satan. But Jesus said this, I am come that you might have life, and you might have it more abundantly. So the question remains for you today. Do you believe? Not just a head knowledge, not like uh, Mr. Murray Abdu I mentioned, but instead, uh, not a, just that head knowledge, but instead a true, genuine faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. There's a question today that you must answer. I cannot answer it. Really, if an angel from heaven were here, he could not answer. If a devil from hell were here, he could not answer. The question is this, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3, how shall we escape? if we neglect so great a salvation.
which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him. How shall you escape if you neglect today? If you don't put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, uh, how will you escape? The answer is you won't. Will you put your faith in Him today? Will you simply come to Him by faith? Will you see the resurrection for what it is? Hope. Hope in this life.